Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 34. Today we are on Luke chapter 7 as we make our way through the 24 chapters of Luke uh, ending on Christmas Day. I just want to take a moment to thank you for coming along with me on this journey. I appreciate those who have followed this podcast. Um, If you're new to it, I welcome you. I hope that the Lord opens up to you the riches of his insight. I pray that I would be permitted to be a catalyst uh, to bring about uh, a word of the Lord. And uh, I just thank you for taking the time. And uh, I pray that God uses this and multiplies it for the glory of his name. And I just pray that, uh, that the Spirit would be present that you would feel God's presence as he reveals to you through his word. So we are Luke chapter 7. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. I do want to just kind of pause to to make a comment here um it is something kind of that has newly popped out to me um over the many course of times that i've read it um the the people who are who are kind of advocating for jesus to intervene in the life of a centurion who had this sick slave sick servant and they were saying this centurion is worthy of having you intervene on his behalf. And their definition of him being worthy was he loves our people and he built a synagogue for us. It's very easy to see how kind of self propagating this was you know we when we ask the question you know who is worthy to receive a touch from the lord a miraculous intervention um i I feel that 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 as they spoke that to jesus it maybe it echoed their immaturity in uh, spiritual matters. Um, 
I could only suspect, but, you know, <laughs> Jesus may be thinking to himself, um, you know, the, oh, this man is worthy. Um, and not only do they have this perspective that he's worthy of having, of getting your help, it's because he's done all these things for us. So, anyways, I find that kind of, of interesting that that is the definition for his worthiness. So we go on, verse 6, And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Now, I'm going to stop there because as we were reading this uh, as a family, this came to me for the first time I've ever um, understood it. And it was pretty profound. The They said to Jesus, I, I did not presume to come to you. And he says, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. So that's why I didn't come to you. And this is exactly, we see this all the way back to Adam and Eve. And we see this in our day, in the days that we live in, in our own lives. This is what our t- the temptation is to, in light of our unworthiness, in light of our insufficiency, in light of our sin, we have a tendency to avoid God rather than come to Him. Adam and Eve, they realize that they have sinned against God. They now have a realization of their nakedness and they they hide. And, And God speaks out to them, to Adam, where are you? Um... This is this is a behavior that's very counter to what we must do in these moments of insufficiency is rather than run away and, and hide from or avoid, that is all the more reason that we should run into his arms because it's only from the place of in his arms can we ever expect or um, come into this place of lasting change the devil desires to play off of that instinct and isolate us and condemn us but it it is from that face to face encounter that we can ever expect to have life-altering change. So he says, Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. You know, what a thing 
to declare over a person that Jesus was amazed. What what do you think that that looked like? What what do you what do you think that that felt like to Jesus? That that something a man expressed something that he possessed in his heart this faith it amazed Jesus the maker of heaven and earth set all the planets in place in orbit spoke light into existence separated the waters uh, called land into being caused the water to come to a certain place and no further separated the night from the day i mean he reached in across time and he pulled back day from night and this all-powerful god saw something inside of a man and was amazed that is just so profound and what a thing to know what that would be like in the heart of Jesus he was amazed so it says when Jesus heard this he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd that followed him he said i tell you not even in israel have i found such faith when those who had been sent returned to the house they found the slave in good health now we may speculate here but there is no definitive language used for what jesus did in this encounter for healing I want you to, as we go through these and as you read on your own, pay close attention to what did Jesus say to, to bring about healing, to speak life back into a person who was dead. Pay attention to those moments. Now, it's not about us parroting what Jesus said. It's, it's not the words that produce life, but it's the origin of the words. It's who is behind the word. And the power of the Lord is present to heal. So, but it is something that we should pay attention to that we can, we can learn some, some unique insights if we pay attention to them, and just gather them up in our hearts. So in this particular situation, Jesus speaks nothing regarding the healing. He's amazed by the man's faith. He comments on that faith. And then when they depart, there is healing that is performed, or there's healing that has occurred. So that's fascinating. Verse 11, soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate to the town, a man who had died was being carried out. 
He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. Now, you can see this woman's dire situation she's in. And this gives us just a small taste of why she was so distraught. I mean, granted, she lost her son and her only son. But when we realize what prospects that this woman had, she had none. She was a widow. So she's lost her husband, the you know, main breadwinner. And then her son, her only son, has been lost as well now. So she's, she's going to resort to begging. Um, her life is completely changed. Uh, that is a, uh, that's a hard reality. And so she is distraught, no doubt. But it says, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her. And said to her, do not weep. That is important for us to to understand. Uh, And I think we know that Jesus did nothing that the father uh, didn't tell him to. He He stayed in line with the father's directive. But I think this is a, a... a special moment here that we get to see. It wasn't just a go pray for this woman, go heal this son, go mend this withered arm. This was originating out of a place of compassion. And sometimes it's really easy for us to lose sight of the compassion of God. We see him very easily as this fierce and powerful judge who's ready to inflict judgment. But we much less have the ability to see him as a compassionate one. But, but Jesus demonstrated this. Remember, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he is demonstrating the compassion of God. So he said to her, do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, the coffin, and the bears stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. You know, I can't help but think that this young man, this only son, Jesus had compassion. Um, he knew exactly where he was headed. He knew where where God was taking him to. His ultimate destination was was the cross, and then in through the cross resurrection. And I can't help but think that Jesus experienced this compassion for this woman and the fact that 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 was her only son. There was very likely a kind of a paralleled felt compassion. 
you know, Jesus being the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son of the Father. So um, I can see how he would have uh, a very unique insight into how this woman felt. And, and remember, <clears throat> it's easy to, to think of, of Jesus very, um, very individualistically and then thinking of God very individualistically. And, um, but we, we also keep in, keep active in your mind that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ. He was on that cross just as much as Jesus the man. And we start getting into some really, uh, really choppy waters um, just from the sheer magnitude of of comprehension it's a when we start into the world of the trinity of the this father son and spirit it's um it's mind-boggling really so i won't go too, too far into those woods but uh it is a wonderful thing to consider and think on <clears throat> so the bear stood still and Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God looked, has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. Verse 18, the, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus had then, Jesus had just then cured many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and had given sight to many who were blind. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. So this is a very, it's a very kind of cryptic thing here. Jesus responds to John the Baptist's messengers. Now, many times we would like just Jesus to just say, yes, I'm the one. You don't need to wait for anyone else. But instead, Jesus gives him this strange response. Now, it's actually not so strange. And it's beautiful how much Jesus incorporates the Old Testament into his active ministry. So what we just read there, go tell John what you have seen and heard, and he gives them this list. So if you'll look at Isaiah 29, 18, 29, 18, um, Isaiah is prophesying on hope for the future. And in that verse, it says, on that day, 
the deaf shall hear the words of a scroll. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the neediest people shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Okay. So that's a portion of what Jesus says. The blind will receive their sight. Let's also look at Isaiah 35. Five through six. Isaiah thirty five, five through six. And that says the eyes then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy, for water shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. So, Jesus is is more than just confirming that he is the one. He's also reminding John out of Old Testament prophecy. And John would have been very well acquainted with these scriptures. And, and that's why... Um, you'll see that that this news is then taken back to John and not only does Jesus affirm his uh, messiahhood but he does so by incorporating it into Old Testament prophecy so verse 24 says when when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who put on fine clothing and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That's actually out of Malachi 3.1. So Jesus pulling, dipping back into the Old Testament, pulling it into his active ministry. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Yet... The least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now that's another strange comment. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. So, so Jesus is saying, of those that have been born, none have been greater than John. Yet, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. See, John served in a very unique role. John functioned as a bridge between the closing out of the era of the old covenant 
and heralding in the uh, the ushering in of a new covenant. And remember that when John baptized Jesus, John actually told Jesus, I need your baptism. And Jesus said, permit this for now. So, I think that, now this is not to say that John, in, this, in the sense of part of God's kingdom, um, that he that he wasn't in in God's kingdom in the sense of being a redeemed soul, but John was not part of an era of the kingdom of God like we know it. Something special happened. We know that um, later on, after Christ's death and resurrection and the 40 days he spent on the earth and then his departure, and then uh, 10 days later, we have Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the promise that was given. In the, in the culmination of that, the outpoured Spirit, the abiding presence of the Spirit in the lives of, the, of believers, there's something uniquely here incorporating people into the kingdom of God. So I think what Jesus is actually saying is John... John served a role that no greater man has fulfilled. Yet, he did not taste of the kingdom of God like those who are a part of this new kingdom that he has brought in. And so, he's really, he's really speaking on the significance of being a part of God's kingdom in his new kingdom. And this isn't just this unconsummated kingdom. This is also a realized kingdom, but not yet finalized. Verse 29, And all the people who heard this, including the tax collectors, acknowledged the justice of God, because they had been baptized with John's baptism. Well, of course, right? They they were baptized by John, so they loved this thought. It just kind of shows you a little bit of the fickleness of our hearts uh, because then we see the opposite of it in verse 30. But by refusing to be baptized by him, John the Baptist, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. And then Jesus kind of builds upon that fickleness of man because he says in verse 31, To what then will I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread 
and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all of her children. This just shows you this is how, <laughs> this is how fickle and how manipulative humanity can be. Uh, men and women, boys and girls. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other fifty. When they when they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Now it may it may be obvious to some, but I feel like I see this in a in a in a new way. I don't think that Jesus is actually just giving an example of two people who owed a debt and one loved more than the other. I actually believe that these two was the woman and uh, the man who hosted Jesus in his home, which could possibly be this man named Simon, unless... Jesus was speaking to Simon Peter, but it seems to me from the text that maybe he was speaking to this to this man who invited him. Um, of course, he was a Pharisee. Uh, Simon, what Simon Peter wasn't a Pharisee, so perhaps Simon Peter was just standing nearby. And in verse forty, when it says Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, so. <laughs> Maybe Jesus was looking and speaking to him while he was incorporating a conversation with Simon Peter. Anyways, it it sounds to me like the two debtors, one being the Pharisee and the other being this woman. And, uh, and so Jesus said to him, after he had said the one he canceled the greater debt for, he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, 
She has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. I've really been on this journey of looking at repentance from a new lens. <clears throat> this story, it really, it really challenges our thinking about repentance. It really calls into question the process by which um, repentance occurs. I mean, this woman, she utters no words of asking forgiveness for anything. She sees him rightly. I think that there is a self-realization. And action occurs. There's humility. But Jesus says that your sins are forgiven. So I would really challenge you know challenge you to to meditate on on repentance. How does it occur? For what is its purpose? Think on these things and also think about the the criminal on the cross next to Christ who uttered no request of Jesus forgive me for the sin that I have committed. Uh, I do plan on releasing a teaching as I'm continue to develop and unpack and uh, kind of document my process for the, for that. Uh, I do plan on sharing that whenever it becomes ready. So I'm I'm I've got a a lot of things stewing around in in my mind and heart regarding the topic of repentance. So I'll be eager to get that rolling uh, as soon as I can. So put a plug in that. In verse 49, it says, But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think also that reality should make us look again at salvation, faith, what it can accomplish. I think that many things that we have learned throughout our history in Christianity could stand to use a realignment to biblical uh, scripture and so uh, I enjoy the the process of journey and as I discover and unpack um, I'm eager to pass those learnings along so I think that will conclude our journey for the evening tomorrow we will be coming in uh, starting at Luke 8 and uh, thank you for taking the time um, and uh, staying with me on this one. And I appreciate you and bless you. And we'll see you on the next one. God bless. I'm close to you. I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you. And in your house.
Pasajo 